As a child growing up in Denver, Thanksgiving meant one thing to me, food. I loved Thanksgiving. I would wake up to the scent of homemade turkey broth. All day, I would smell my mother's cooking and my nose would twitch and my stomach would growl. It was a big treat for me to be able to help with the sweet potato pie and the sweet potato casserole and the clover rolls in the oven. Ooh, goodness. Their golden brown glow just about killed me. I eschewed the stuffing as being just soggy bread, but the cranberry sauce, ooh, that in its gelled can shape actually frightened me. But the piece de resistance was the turkey drumstick that mom always made sure I got. We were a small family. It was just me, my mom, and my dad. And then later, just me and my mom. We didn't do the big Thanksgivings like what you saw on television. Later, as I got older, we started doing Thanksgiving potlucks with friends, and I developed a better understanding of what the commercials meant when they showed big family meals. Regardless of the size of the company that I broke bread with, however, one thing always remained consistent. My association of Thanksgiving with food, and then later with friends and family. I never associated it with pilgrims or indigenous people until I had my own children and they started going to school. I must admit that I have struggled somewhat with the public school system here in the Caneo Valley. The math program for the kindergarten and first graders drove me up a wall as it required me to be a crafty mom and have things in the house that I simply didn't own, such as a sewing kit full of buttons. Then there was Africa Day at Ladera Elementary School, a misguided attempt to get kids to learn about making change with money through hackneyed stereotypes of Africa and market days. And really, that is a whole sermon in and of itself. But what really irked me was the way that social studies and history was taught. I know that history is written by the victors and perhaps my expectations were too high. I didn't have illusions that my firstborn son Duncan would come home from school one day speaking the Chumash language just because we happen to live near the Chumash Interpretive Center. Still, I was a little startled when he started bringing home all the crafts his class had been working on to celebrate Thanksgiving. While I found the traditional handprint turkey to be adorable, I was a little bemused by the brown skin pilgrim made out of construction paper, a nod to my son's racially mixed heritage, and the miscellaneous worksheets and coloring pages showing happy pilgrims and standard generic Indians eating together. And the brown construction paper headband with colorful feathers glued onto it, that was the topper.
As a child, I made school visits to the Colorado History Museum, where we learned that the lands of the West had been occupied for thousands of years by many different groups of indigenous people, including the Apache Nation, the Arapaho Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, the Pueblo tribes, and the Ute Nation. And they all dressed differently. I was sure the same was true about the indigenous people of New England, that there were many different peoples and that they didn't all wear the same headband. So seeing Duncan grasping this Indian trope just made me cranky, but he was so proud of his work. Who was I to dash his heart and dash his dreams? So I let the matter slide, but I did not forget, partially because the school system would not let me. Even my younger boy, Griffin, who went to an entirely different elementary school altogether, would bring home the, the detritus of the fairy tale of Thanksgiving. Now, you may be wondering why I am referring to Thanksgiving as a fairy tale. After all, the holiday has been celebrated for centuries, hasn't it? And isn't this year the 400th year since the first Thanksgiving was celebrated in 1621? Well, I hate to tell you this, but the holiday of Thanksgiving is mostly a PR stunt. And the Eastern tribes of indigenous peoples, including the Wampanoag, the tribe directly involved in the first Thanksgiving, view the holiday as a national day of mourning. The group United American Indians of New England, or UAINE, organizes events centered around the day of mourning. According to their website, the day of mourning has been commemorated since 1970. Indigenous people and their allies gather in Plymouth to remember and to protest. For them, Thanksgiving represents, quote, the genocide of millions of native people, the theft of native lands, and the erasure of native cultures, end quote. It is not a holiday of celebration. So question, what was the first Thanksgiving like? We have documentation that dates back to that time period that was discovered in the early 1800s. So we've learned a few things. For one, there was no turkey served and no one wore feathered headdresses. And the pilgrims initially did not invite the local Indian tribe. The Wampanoag, whose name means people of the first light in their native language, can trace their ancestry back at least 10,000 years to southeastern Massachusetts and Rhode Island. By the time the pilgrims landed, the tribe had nearly been wiped out by a mysterious disease. The pilgrims were not the first visitors to the area, despite what we commonly believe. Europeans had visited the area before the pilgrims had, and the Wampanoag had fought and traded with those explorers dating back to 1524. In 1614, 
a well-known Indian named Squanto had been kidnapped and sold into slavery in Spain. He spent seven years trying to get back to his homeland. During his absence, his people were nearly wiped out. By the time Squanto returned, two thirds of his people had been killed by the great dying, which was thought to have been caused by an illness carried by the Europeans. In 1620, the English people aboard the Mayflower landed near Plymouth. The Wampanoag observed as women and children got off the boats and they realized that this was no exploratory mission. In fact, the pilgrims left England so that they could worship the way they wanted to. The pilgrims struggled through their first winter, dying of cold, starvation, and disease. However, this didn't stop them from raiding the graves of the, of the deceased in the deserted indigenous village of Patuxet and settling it for themselves. The leader of the Wampanoag had to make an impossible decision. On the one hand, he did not trust the Europeans, but he noticed that they had weapons that would be more powerful against the Narragansett tribe who were their sworn enemies. And their tribe was too small to stand up on their own against the Narragansett. In the spring of 1621, with the help of Squanto, who spoke English, he made first contact with the Europeans. He was being strategic. He was not being friendly. By the fall, the pilgrims, thanks in part to the Wampanoag teaching them how to plant beans and squash, had their first harvest of crops. To celebrate, the pilgrims had a harvest feast. The Wampanoag were not invited. In fact, the local Indian tribe only showed up after the Indians heard gunshots go off and they came running, fearing that they were once again going to be going to war. When they were told it was a meal held in Thanksgiving for a successful harvest, they were relieved and they joined in bringing deer to share with the Europeans who were eating waterfowl, not turkey. That was about as good as it got for the Wampanoag. The pilgrims thought themselves superior to the tribe and eventually killed many Wampanoag in battle, enslaved more, and forced survivors to convert to Christianity or die. Pretty ironic coming from people who were coming to the new world for the right to worship. Thanksgiving is seen by many indigenous people as the beginning of the end. Thanksgiving does not signify friendship and fellowship. It instead means disease, servitude, and death, not to mention suppressed rituals, stolen lands, and stolen children. The Wampanoag are still fighting for their land, their culture, and their people. In the 1970s, the Mashpee Wampanoag sued to reclaim some of their ancestral homelands, but they lost, partially because they weren't officially recognized as a tribe. They filed for federal recognition in the 1970s, and more than three decades later, Late in, a, in 2007, they were granted federal recognition. In 2015, 
about 300 acres were put in federal trust for the Mashpee. This actually gave them a little land for a reservation, but the Trump administration tried to take the land out of trust. They are still awaiting final word from the Department of Interior on the status of their land. They're also fighting for recognition as human beings. Paula Peters, who was interviewed for a st story in the Washington Post recently, said that a school teacher explained the Thanksgiving story to her class when she was eight years old. After the story, a schoolmate asked, what happened to the Indians? The teacher replied, they're all dead. Paula responded, no, they're not. I'm still here. Imagine being told that you didn't exist. Imagine being told that your ways were primitive. Imagine being told that your religion was not worthy to exist, that your children could not be raised by you. This is what the Wampanoag and other tribes have had to endure. Now, I hate to say this, but Unitarian Universalist churches, despite our liberal religious bent, have played a part in making Thanksgiving what it is today. Many of the congregations that the pilgrims established in the New World became Unitarian or Universalist. In addition, Sarah Josepha Hale, the woman who campaigned several presidents over the span of 17 years to make Thanksgiving a national holiday, was active in Unitarian circles. In 2016, the Unitarian Universalist Association tried to rectify their past mistakes by passing a business resolution wherein they suggested that they not only engage in educating all UU churches and camps about the truth of Thanksgiving, but also work with local tribes in activism. While this resolution does have merit, it centers the European experience. What we should do instead is center the experience of indigenous people. This past Wednesday, the Unitarian Universalist Ministry for Earth rebroadcast their decolonizing Thanksgiving service that was produced in conjunction with Indigenous Unitarian Universalists, relations from local tribal communities, and the advocacy action campaign, Side with Love. And this past weekend, a friend of mine hosted a decolonized Thanksgiving, featuring foods and flavors of Indigenous homelands and peoples. So you might be asking, what is decolonization? To quote from the website, interdependence, global solidarity, and local actions, quote, decolonization calls for decentering the narrative by which settlers romanticize indigenous beliefs and surface culture. It calls instead for deconstructing settler-imposed systems that continue to oppress Black, Brown, and indigenous people. In other words, words, decolonization takes away the rosy romantic gloss that colonizers such as those from Europe have laid upon history and 
dismantling the systems that oppress non-European cultures. Decolonizing does not mean that we people of color stop talking with our friends and families of European descent. No, decolonization is a group effort. We must all work together to undo the harm currently being caused by colonial ways of thinking and acting. You may be wondering if you can decolonize Thanksgiving. Well, yes, yes you can. There are some steps you can take to return Thanksgiving back to the roots of the meaning of giving thanks, to combat erasure and honor indigenous people. For example, learn the truth about the holiday and tell your family the truth as well. Do a little research. There's a lot of indigenous websites that talk about the holiday. In addition to which, there are some museums hosted by indigenous groups that talk about the holiday. You may even want to go so far as to band together and approach your school board about telling the truth about Thanksgiving and about the horrors that the indigenous people did and do face once their land was colonized by Europeans. There is material out there that is appropriate for children that does not romanticize indigenous people or the holiday, such as the book Fry Bread, which is a fabulous children's book. Consider doing a land acknowledgement before your meal. There are websites and apps that can help you determine which tribes inhabited the land where your residence now resides. Maybe change up the menu. I have gone to vegan Thanksgiving at my aunt's and uncle's house for years now. It is only tradition that dictates there be a turkey. It is not a law. Emphasize and learn about the humanity and living existence of indigenous people. American culture has made them into stereotypes, into tropes, into ancient beings that no longer exist. We've seen the Halloween costumes. Focusing on decolonizing Thanksgiving, working with indigenous people is how we can move forward. We can rewrite what Thanksgiving means to us now and for the future. As I told my students at work in my information theory and practice class at Woodbury University, when we were discussing information and bias, don't apologize for who you are. I am telling you this as well. Don't apologize for a past you had no control over. Instead, help make the present and future a better one for everyone. May it be so.